the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this Situation Report today. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. Today we are going to discuss uh, an issue that I never in my lifetime thought would be impacted by an ever-changing culture. But here we are. Today we're going to talk about patriotism. My name is Jeremy Stonelicker, and I am so glad to have you with us and look forward to all that we are going to discuss as we run into this very important topic. Over the years, I have been asked many, many times, why did you decide to go into the Marine Corps? That was a question that uh, I was asked as a young man. <laughs> I've been asked on the other side of that. And one of the answers I typically give is I was raised in a patriotic home. I was raised by parents who understood what it was to be an American, who understood freedom, who were patriotic. We are now living at a time in our country and in our culture where patriotism is misunderstood. It's being redefined. I think if we use that word now uh, in a group of five people, we'll have five different understandings of exactly what that means. But patriotism is important, and it's something we need to understand. And uh, thankfully today we've got a great guest on who's going to help deconstruct and maybe redefine uh, some of this for us today. Joe Kent is with us. Uh, So uh, honored to have him here. He is a uh, former United States Army Special Forces soldier with 11 combat deployments, a gold star husband, which uh, I hope he'll talk about his family just a little bit today as we jump into this, and currently is running for Congress in Clark County, Washington's 3rd District. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for being with us today. Really, really honored that uh, you take some time. We're going to jump into this conversation on patriotism. I I wonder if, before we get into it, though, you could just take some time and and tell your story. Talk about uh, maybe why you went into the Army, why you served the way that you did, and what it was that's motivated you to get involved in politics. Yeah, so, you know, uh, defining patriotism really clearly, I I think, is actually, you know, fairly difficult and and an interesting discussion to have. Um, so I I joined the army because I, it was all I ever envisioned myself doing. As far back as I can remember, I wanted to be some form of a soldier, you know, a marine or or something to that effect. Um, when I was growing up, it was obviously all the little boy fantasies, you know, watching GI Joe and the A Team. Yeah. But then as I got older <laughs> and I really started getting into you know U.S. history, I was just really impressed that we lived here in America. I, I grew up in in Portland, Oregon, which was not Portland, Oregon that you see today on TV. Portland, Oregon in the 80s and the 90s was a beautiful little suburban, small town almost um, community. So I, I was amazed that there was people like me from this great environment in America that volunteered to go forward and to go fight savage wars. And that yeah. actually at a time, you know, not so far behind us um, that there had been strife on our own soil that was immediately beating down uh, the doors of freedom, you know, whether it was the attack on uh, Pearl Harbor or it was even our own, you know, civil war that there was Americans who volunteered to go out and, and, and to fight. So I, I, I always kind of thought, hey, you know, who are these people? And is 
I'm not okay with there being those types of people in my society and not being one of those people myself. Right. So I, you know, I went and I um, had plans of enlisting in the army um, as soon as I could at age 18. I attempted to join earlier because uh, I read way too many books and watched too many movies about right. kids lying and all those kind of right. papers. And, being 14 or 15 and sneaking by the recruiter or just having like a recruiter that would let you join. Right. Um, so especially after the 1993 Black Hawk Down incident, when I was 13 years old, that was yeah. probably the first, I think, brutal combat that Americans saw on the modern like cable 24 hour news cycle uh, type of media. So I saw that and I was like, wow, there's there, there are some guys out there that are yeah. living in a suburban condition like I am that are deploying overseas and engaging in this savage combat and some of them are being killed and dr having their bodies drunk through the streets. I don't know what that is, but I want to go do that. I want right. to go be a part of that. As weird as that sounds, that was to me like, hey, how can I let someone else go do this? So uh, enlisted in the army right at age 18, uh, volunteered for Ranger Regiment, was lucky enough to get assigned there right away, um, passed their selection process. After a couple of years, went to special forces um, and then I was actually in special forces training when 9-11 happened. So mm. the first couple of years of my military career, um, we were just training. I mean, we were training hard for war. The Ranger Regiment took training very seriously. We had a couple of veterans from, uh, from Mogadishu, from Panama, from even some from Grenada still. Wow. Um, but we, we hadn't, we didn't, there was no combat on the horizon really until 9-11 happened. Yep. And I entered the uh, special forces. Yeah. Um, you, you served uh, 11 combat tours. And then, uh, you know, life happened and things happened that uh, took you in a different direction and brought you to the place where you continued to serve, but outside of the military. Can you talk about that a little bit and kind of your journey into politics? I mean, that's a, it's not a strange turn, but I think for you, it's, a, it's an interesting turn. Can you talk through that a little bit? I mean, it's definitely a weird turn. I, I never envisioned uh, going into politics. So, I mean, pretty much after 9-11, I uh, just went on a cycle of constant deployments, um, which is obviously, I don't, I don't think is very unique for our generation of right. warriors. I think it's unique right. maybe for the rest of American society. Um, but that was my life up until uh, just recently. So when I retired from the military in 2018, I retired at the 20 year mark. Um, I intended to continue, I intended to continue to serve. I got a job right away in the CIA. Um, so I retired on a Friday and then swore in mm. at the agency on a Monday. Um, I wanted to continue to serve this country overseas abroad. I also kind of wanted to stay where the action was. If you stay in the right. military for too long and they try and stick you behind a desk. So right. <laughs> my, right. my plan was just to punch out at 20 and then start another career in the agency. Um, but I had a few years prior, I had uh, met and married my wife, Shannon Ken. She was also a special operator, a very unique individual. She enlisted right after uh, the attacks of 9-11. She's a New yeah. Yorker. Her father and her uncle were first responders to Ground Zero. And then wow. her and her younger brother went and enlisted in the military immediately. Wow. Her brother continues to serve to this day. So Shannon and I uh, met, got married, um, had children. And then about uh, a little bit over two years ago, she was killed fighting ISIS in Syria. Um, so she was killed at a really pivotal time, I think, in our, in our country's history, and then also in President Trump's presidency. So she was killed a month after Trump attempted to get our troops out of Syria the first time. So Trump assessed that, hey, we had uh, reached our military objective, we had defeated all the ground that ISIS controlled, and once we hit that that mark, he said, hey, there's nothing else for here, us for the American uh, military to do here, let's get our guys out. And that's when Secretary of Defense Mattis, a bunch of other unelected bureaucrats, 
uh, either resigned publicly and ran to the media to paint the picture that Trump didn't know what he was doing, and then all their underlings, not all, but some of their underlings in DOD, Department of State, started the slow roll that um, resulted in troops being left in Syria. About a month later, my wife and three other great Americans were killed by a suicide bomber in Manbij, Syria. So, you know, seeing all that and seeing the way that the, essentially the establishment, a bunch of unelected bureaucrats have turned against the person that the American people chose right. to implement their will, I felt that it was my duty, just like it was my duty to go and fight, to start speaking out, because I, I had seen the truth of the wars and how wasteful they had been over the, the previous almost 20 years. And, I, and I, I agreed with President Trump's decision for one, it was right to get our troops out of Syria. There's nothing strategic about Northeast Syria that America needs to be expending right. additional blood and treasure for. Um, but also the fact that the American people elected the president and the military works for the president. So they should have followed his orders. Yep. That's the way the system works. So I started speaking out, um, writing op-eds, going on TV to articulate Trump's foreign policy. Worked a little bit uh, during the Trump campaign, sort of became an unofficial advisor uh, to Trump and his administration on foreign policy, especially counterterrorism. Um, he's kind of a, a unconventional president, so he, he liked to get a lot of ground truth from people that had experience fighting on the ground. I appreciate that. I had an invitation to go back and work in a second Trump administration somewhere in the national security realm. Mm. And then, then 2020 happened. Yeah, and sure. We all saw what happened, man. And seeing the way that the election went, I think that there was widespread fraud. Um, there's at least discrepancies that I feel need to be adjudicated. But but the way that big tech went after anybody who even suggested that right. really opened up my eyes. And I, and I saw uh, a combination of everything the left had done on the cultural level, through the media, through the education system, and then the way that they had taken over the government. There was really this permanent ruling class of corporate interests and of government interests that were moving lockstep against the one disruptor. And that disruptor had a face that had named, it was Trump, but it wasn't just Trump. It was really all these other Americans who had been carrying water, essentially, it had all the labor put on their backs for the endless wars, the way the economy had been hollowed out. Um, I saw that apparatus moving against them and I, I knew I wanted to do something. I just didn't know what. I had moved my family back to the Pacific Northwest where I'm from. I didn't want to raise my kids in Portland because Portland is essentially a failed state now at this point. <laughs> right. um, so I moved right across the water, right across the Columbia River into Washington state because there's this, the third congressional district where I am, which is right across from Portland, Oregon. Mm. It's this last bastion of conservative values on really on the West coast. We're one of two red districts that touch the Pacific ocean. So oh. I moved here because we have pretty sane values here. And then the woman that I voted for, Jamie Herrera Butler, voted for the impeachment of President Trump. And so yep. to me, I just saw that as, hey, this is kind of the last stand. I'm either going to do something or I'm going to sit here and complain. And I'm going to have to explain to my kids that I, I just sat back and let this country that her that their mother gave her life for yes. disintegrate. So I literally Googled, how do you, how do you run for Congress in my <laughs> filings? And I've been off at the races ever since then. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org 
To learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. Man, that's awesome. Uh, You know, we talk about patriotism. This is something that means something to me. It clearly means something to you. Um, Having served in the Marine Corps, been in Iraq, understanding what that looks like and what that feels like coming home. Now, you know, my day job is working in a, uh, with a veterans organization um, where we serve men and women who have served and we're dealing with uh, so many issues that have resulted from their service. And so patriotism is so important and yet it's being defined now in our larger culture as something that we should run away from. In fact, don't fly the American flag. Don't talk about being an American patriot. If you talk about being a patriot, it probably means you're a white supremacist. I mean, all these things we're hearing now, and you're right, it's difficult to define patriotism, but can you give us a working definition? And then beyond that, and and because it is, I think it's something we have to struggle to understand History is very important in forming that. But give us a working definition, but beyond that, why this is something that everyday Americans should care about. We cannot yield ground on what it is to be a patriot. Yeah, I think the the key word that you use there is knowing your history. I mean, if you know American history, and then especially if you know the history of really the rest of humanity, as long as human beings have been attempting to figure out how to live with one another and not have it be total and complete carnage, once you've really studied that, you realize right. how special what we have here yep. in America yep. is. So I think understanding the fact that our founders were as, as flawed of human beings as they may have been, they created some documents and they lived and died by some key ideas that said that, hey, all men are created equal. We all have the the uh, inherent right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that's given to us by God, not by other men. And our, the history of our country has been the struggle to live up to those words. And every generation has had its own struggles, but we've continued to move the ball further and further, closer to, to a society that benefits everyone. It's not 100% perfect, but if you take that in, into the full scope of the rest of the world, you realize what we have here is actually truly, truly amazing yeah. and truly special. And I think I felt that way before I went overseas, before I went to combat, I just don't think I could articulate it. I knew that there was something that I, I knew I needed to go do something to give back to this right? because I, I realized how special it was, but I don't think I could fully articulate it in the way that I can now. And I think in, in probably in the way a lot of veterans can, because we've, we've been to these other places. Right. I, I don't necessarily think you need to be a veteran. I, I think you either have to do a heck of a lot of studying or do some travel. Um, that's hard nowadays because sure. you know, there are some places <laughs> that are complete and total, you know, they're to- complete and totally uh, chaotic and unsafe to go yeah. to you look at the rest of the world like we're we've mostly gotten it right and we continue to strive for it so it's very disturbing to me to see people um run away from being proud of this country because i think even um in some of our darkest moments slavery our civil war uh pre-civil rights we were still striving there was an active movement in the u.s at all times to move towards what we have now this this great nation that always strives to do the right thing so that that to me I, just acknowledging that and realizing right. how 
how it's it's never enough to just rest on your laurels and always having to contribute something to it. It's an, it's a debt that can't be paid. Yeah. That to me is sort of my working definition of, of patriotism. Yeah, that's good. How do we engage you know our fellow American citizens with this idea? How do we re-energize the idea of patriotism? How do we communicate this to them? Um, I, I, I love the ideas and the understanding of first principles. How do we help uh, those who are around us get back to an understanding of first principles? What are some practical things we can do? I think the most practical thing that we can do is to continue to engage with people that have different views than we do. I I think something's happened in the last, I, I don't know, 20 years or so. And probably even it's been more accelerated with the advent of social media, which is supposed to make us all more connected. Right. But it's really just made us much more divided. Yes, I, yes it know, I remember, like I said, I'm from Portland, Oregon, and my parents were conservative. Um, but most of their friends, I would say, were on like what now is probably the center left. Um, but they had conversations with each other and they had disagreements. And I right. remember these as a kid. And these people like I, I look at, you know, as being like my aunts and uncles almost because they were so close with my parents. But now, I just wonder nowadays, is that even possible? It seems like it's not. So I think we have to get back to a place where like having different ideas and then being able to respectfully engage with people right. where that becomes the norm, you know? And I just don't think uh, social media, what, right. algorithms intentionally, <laughs> unintentionally, I think a lot of it's intentional. Right. That's just not conducive. I think getting back to a place where you actually have conversations with people is very helpful. And that's going to take a lot of bravery because I think if you're on the side that wants to have more conversations and articulate the fact that this is still a great nation worth fighting for, I do think you're going to get called right now. We're going to get called racist. We're going to get called whatever white supremacist, insurrectionist. We're going to get called all that. So I think you kind of, you kind of have to strengthen. You have to steal your spine a little bit and be like, I know that's coming. Right. I just got to push through it. And hopefully the, the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the, the better angels of the person on the other side's nature will, help them see that you're coming from a place of genuine care and concern and, and they'll at least hear you out. I think that that's, that's kind of where we got to get back to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate those who are willing to have real conversations without yelling and screaming and, and name calling and um, right, nowadays and, and understanding that a lot of people were raised in, you know, an environment where they were told the other side is evil and they really do mean you harm. And so having uh, reasonable conversations, it is hard to do, but it is really important as we as we continue to move forward. Um, man, there's so much there, but but I'll move on to your your campaign a little bit. On your website, and you have an incredible website. Uh, the video on your homepage, um, I've probably watched it 15 times. Um, absolutely incredible. Um, but there is a tab there that gives uh, a list of the uh, the issues that you you know, are concerned about and the things that you care about. There's several things there. Uh, and there are so many issues facing our country right now. And, and it's very difficult to focus. What's the most important one? Um, and I know you can't pick out a most important one, but what are some of those on that list, perhaps, that uh, maybe you're most passionate about? You have opinions on the others. You care about the others. You'll vote <laughs> uh, according to how you've stated on the others. But there are a few that you're most passionate about. Uh, what are some of those things that that these are the reasons I'm going to go forward with this. So one of the, the biggest ones I have, and this is based on my personal belief, and then what I also hear from people is election integrity and the election of 2020. So, yeah. like I said, I, I do believe there was widespread fraud, but here's the deal: I want to prove it. I, I get, I get right. that there's one side that says like it was stolen, you know, like reinstate <laughs> right. Trump tomorrow, or you're a traitor, and there's the other side that says if you even mention that, then you're an insurrectionist. 
we can we can solve all this. We really can, and, and it's it's very simple. We have to be we have to have the courage to dig into the election and to dig in what happened. A lot of that uh, hard work is happening right now in Maricopa County. I think Georgia's going to go next, but there's no reason why when there's this many discrepancies with an election that we don't have government officials that say stop, time out. We are going to get to the bottom of this because this is the most sacred social yep. contract that we have with our government that we the people get to choose our elected officials the elected officials that have a good de- a good degree of power over us there's a discrepancy we have to adjudicate it so i don't really have time for politicians who refuse to deal with this issue i feel like it is a absolute sacred duty of any elected official to go and and really figure out what happened in november of 2020 and let the chips fall where they may if it's right. not trump that's fine if it's trump okay we have to we have to figure out what the next what the next step is if that was actually the case and we have to make sure that an election like this doesn't happen again um so that's that's my first one when i get into congress i want to have a full congressional inquiry into this subpoena witnesses subpoena evidence put people under oath uh the, a bunch of courts should have done this but they kicked the ball down the court like a right. bunch of cowards you know right. and that that's very frustrating yeah. um my next big my next big issue is the economy and what I call the real America first agenda. America first gets misconstrued a lot of times or, hmm. or it just becomes a slogan, like a bumper sticker. Right. But what I think we need to do, our country's being driven off a cliff right now uh, because we're just running on this debt economy. Um, our country simply just doesn't produce anything anymore. So our, our economy is a hollow shell that we continue to artificially um, inflate with by printing money and, and a combination of printing money and then raising taxes. So right now our working class and our middle class have had the ability for them to graduate high school and get a good paying job completely stripped from them. Our manufacturing economies have been absolutely hollowed out. And that's been done by politicians on the right and the left. The right wing says, hey, this is this is the free market and this is free trade. This is sort of a libertarian idea. It's in the, it's in the best interest of American people. If we can produce things cheaper overseas, that's gonna be a net benefit because then we can purchase more stuff here back in the states for a lower cost. This is completely false and it hasn't worked. It all it's done is put people out of work and it's made this, right. this economy where you can't graduate high school and get a good paying job. So right. the solution that we've told multiple generations is hey, take on a whole bunch of college debt, move to a big city and you can get a, a well-paying tech job. Well, for one, there just aren't that many of those well-paying jobs. So we've saddled multiple generations now at this point with this insurmountable yes. college debt hanging on their backs. Um, and then they moved to a big city and they've had legal immigration in a lot of cases, strip away a lot of the well-paying uh, tech right. jobs, thanks to the H-1B visa program, the L-1 visa program. So we've created this whole economy that's hollow. Um, we don't produce anything anymore. We count on the Chinese to buy off our debt bonds. At some point, the Chinese, the, the Japanese insurance companies, the Gulf Emirates, they're gonna stop buying off our, our, our debt bonds because our, our economy is absolutely hollow. China's gonna do this because they have nefarious intent because they're our number one geopolitical competitor right. and they're going to use this to take out and crash the u.s dollar and challenge our status as a prime reserve currency holder so this is a national security issue it's an economic issue it's a moral issue too i think to be able to provide our people with good paying jobs um and so what i want to do is i want to restore i want to get on a wartime footing to restore manufacturing back to this country we do that by offering an incentive of tax breaks to re, to remanu to uh, reshore manufacturing but that has a time window and at the end of that time window we hit them hard of tariffs and we only rely on the resources that we are blessed with here in the United States to employ our people. So that's all encompassing really for me that America first agenda, re, uh, re-onshoring our manufacturing industries, deregulation, some, some 
tax breaks slash tariffs, and then also really hard on legal and illegal immigration. Yeah, that's fantastic. Another great conversation, but before we continue, I wanted to introduce you to one of our sponsors. Great to have them on board with us. This is the MuttVet family. MuttVet, they are the very first crypto token for veterans by veterans. Uh, Mutt, M-U-T-T, that is the Marines United Tufel token. If you're not familiar with Tufel, it's Tufel Hunden. That is the devil dogs. It goes all the way back to World War I. Marines understand that if you're a Marine listening, you get it. And this is a token for veterans by veterans. If you've not yet looked at blockchain technology and cryptocurrency, you need to. If you listen to this show, we've had conversations about this in the past. This is not financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor, nor would I encourage you to do something just because I tell you to. <laughs> but if you haven't looked at it, uh, certainly this is a conversation taking place globally and you need to take a look. And this is a good place to focus. If you are interested, uh, I would certainly encourage you to go and check out MuttVet. For those that own this and participate, the MuttVet family may occasionally reward its holders with airdrops, new holder referral bonuses, as well as donation incentives. Uh, there are so many places that you can get involved in cryptocurrency, and I would encourage you to take a look at MuttVet, www.muttvet.com. Uh, last question. Uh, on your website, you do not hide the fact that you're a Christian. Um, you know, one of the key issues on you know, your page on issues is abortion, and you talk about being a Christian in your faith. Uh, and I appreciate both that you are a Christian, but also that you don't hide that. Um, how has your faith, your Christian faith, sustained you? And how does it inform your decisions moving forward? How does that impact your life? Because clearly it does. Yeah, I mean, that has to be our first grounding principle is our faith in God. Um, and then also, this is a Judeo-Christian nation. It, it just is. And that doesn't even necessarily mean that you need to even be a practicing Christian or really even believe in Christianity. I, I do. I deeply do. And, and that's that informs my moral decisions on lots of things. But the Judeo-Christian framework that really brought about the West and brought about the United States of America, I think is very special. And I don't think it's something that we can ignore. America wouldn't exist today if it was founded by a bunch of atheists. It, it, right. it just simply wouldn't. We, we the, the very core of our founding documents was guided by men, you know, was, was created by men of deep faith. So for me, it, it's really our, our first guiding principle is, you know, my belief in God. Um, as far as the abortion issue goes, I think that's probably one of the it's got to be the number one issue really as far as morality goes i, I think there's going to be a time in the not too distant future probably when when you and i are a little bit older that our kids and our maybe even our grandkids are going to look at us and go I, I can't believe that you guys live in this era where people were allowed to go and kill babies right you know right. sort of like we could say to our grandparents or some of our great-grandparents like I, I can't believe you guys live in an era where there was segregation right you know i can't believe right. our great our, our great-grandparents that wasn't that long ago like they were around when the Civil War happened. Sure. When people were like in, enslaved. And like that to me, I still can't wrap my head yeah. around that. Yeah. Right. And I, and I think we're going to hit a point. I, I, and I think we're going to see the tide turning more and more as more information comes out about abortion. Yes. And, you know, especially some of abortions, the roots. If people want to talk about racism and systemic racism, the, there is absolute, you know, really diabolical racist origins to abortion being made available yeah. to everyone in America. I mean, there's actual eugenicists, the same ideology as Hitler had that are behind Planned Parenthood. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think the more that we expose that and, and we don't let it become, we've let, we let the left run away from narratives all the time. And when the left started to wrap abortion under like 
you know, the the feminist movement and the, right. this is some sort of women's healthcare, right? Like that's where I think things really went off the rails for us. So I think we just have to keep yeah. speaking truth and really, really pointed out. I think the racism component is a key factor because there's no more, the biggest victims of abortion are, you know, unfortunately uh, black and, and brown babies, you know, it's, it's, it's absolute insanity. So yeah, yeah I, I, that's something I feel very strongly about. And I, and, you know, I don't think I, the GOP says all the time, like, oh, we can't repeal Roe versus Wade. It's like, well, you sure can't, if you don't try. Right. So why, <laughs> but why can't why we? Don't we why don't we go and actually yeah. fight for that? Yeah, that's great. Uh, Joe, I wish I could vote for you. Um, unfortunately, I'm in Southern California. We've got our own problems. But uh, <laughs> where, can, uh, where can people follow you, learn more about you, and get behind what you're doing? Yeah, JoeKentForCongress.com is the is the best resource. I got a uh, uh, issues page where you can read all my stances on all the various issues. You can email me directly from there. And then if people can, uh, I'd really appreciate a donation. We're doing this all grassroots, so even five, 10, 15 bucks really helps us uh, just make this a grassroots movement and take the people's voice back to DC. Awesome. Joe Kent, thank you. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll talk again. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank you, I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. What a fantastic conversation with uh, Joe Kent. Man, really, I appreciate so much about him from his background, the the many things he's been through, of course, the hardships, the difficulties, uh, taking care of his kids in spite of what has happened in his family and now continuing to fight for uh, for America, for what he believes is important. Uh, really love the conversation. A couple key things, though, and I want to give you today's situation report. Uh, number one, and Joe said this right out of the gate, patriotism is a hard concept to define, but it's something that can only be understood in the context of our history, understanding where we have come from, understanding the men and women that have gone forward for the causes that we believe as Americans, that we have always traditionally held to as Americans, and understanding that what we have is very, very special. And again, we get that by looking to history, looking to other places in the world, and understanding the lives and character of the men and women who have gone before us. That was number one. What a great point. The second one is this, and I think this is where there's some action (laughs) that can be taken from what we've heard. The only way to get back to our first principles as Americans, the only way to encourage our citizens to get back to the place where we really should be as Americans, understanding patriotism, is to have real, honest conversations. So much yelling going on right now. So much screaming happening on social media and in person. We need to get back to the place where we can have different opinions coming from different places and yet discuss uh, the truth behind each of those and come to some common ground. If we do that, we will get back to a place uh, where we really, I think, all want to be. And uh, finally, we have to understand that now is the time for us to stand up for those things we believe in. Joe said this, he did it in the Army, uh, transitioned out of the military, and now continues to stand up for those things that he believes in. That's a model that all of us should follow because now is the time. So many other great takeaways there, but that is today's situation report. Uh, Again, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Uh, I love having these conversations because they're so real and so actionable. And I hope that they're also an encouragement to you. When you see people like Joe out there fighting the good fight, you should be encouraged. And I hope you are. Thanks for watching. We'll talk to you next time.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.